Hey, welcome back to Tunes Tunes Podcast. I'm your host, Harold. As always, you can follow us on social media. That's Tunes Tunes Podcast, T-U-N-E-S slash T-O-O-N-S. We're on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. And you can listen to us on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, wherever you find your podcasts. Well, we're back with Mr. Chase Kirby. What up? What up? What up, though? <laughs> I've been talking to you for a while about having you back on the show, so I'm glad I uh, finally made some time. Yeah, man. feels good. It's good. It's good also just seeing you again. Good seeing people in general, <laughs> right? We were just talking about that. Forget that humans exist <laughs> after a pandemic. It's so strange. It's so strange. It's been like one of the things, too. I've done a few episodes this year so far, and I've been like thinking, going into them, like, I don't want to talk about pandemic or any of that bullshit. Right. And then every time I'm like, isn't it crazy how that happened? <laughs> It's just so weird that you're like not going to talk about it. Not going to talk. I know. About yeah, exactly. Can you guys believe this <laughs> pandemic? Like, oh shit! <laughs> What's the deal? The pandemic. A Seinfeld bit. Oh, there it is. Yeah, there it is. <laughs> and what's the deal with the pandemic? <laughs> Man, um, well, I did. I not that I ever need an excuse, but I was like, uh, saw that you're putting out a new song mm-hmm, mm-hmm. under the Hotel Nights moniker. Yeah, yeah. Perf- uh, perfume. perfume dropping uh, as of. Uh, the release of this has dropped uh, just this past Friday. Yep. So, uh, but yeah, man, uh, maybe some people that are familiar with you but haven't kept up or, like, know about that project specifically. Can you talk about that a little bit? Yeah, so Hotel Nights, um, I, it was kind of an idea, and I, I, I wanted to start, I actually wanted to start that band when I was still playing um, as Chase Kirby and the Villains, and I had a set. I had set band members then, and, and I wanted to get a little bit more collaborative and, you know, not really have it as the me, me, me kind of show, but like our show, right? And then those guys got really busy with other projects and all just kind of faded off left and right. Um, and so I just, I, I um, had the name, Hotel Nights, um, and... We can get into where that came from later if you want. Um, so I had the name, and and I was at a Bo Jennings and the Tigers practice, and Bo and I were kind of talking about stuff, and and I, he was like, "Dude, you can you know you can play all these instruments, you can write all this stuff, so just just go make a record." And I was like, "Okay, well, you know, I, maybe I should really kind of not look at this like I'm waiting on other people," um, which I I guess in some way I was. So I started Hotel Nights. Um, part of the reason was to get away from uh, the voice and everything that had to do with that. So, like, if you'd go to Chase Kirby on Spotify, you know, these cover songs from when I was on the voice were the always the top things, you know. Um, and I kind of, I loved my experience on the show, but I kind of resented the fact that everyone was like, hey, sing Coldplay, or I was getting emails about people wanting me to cover songs, and it's like, how about you just listen to the stuff that I write? Like, why are you asking? I'm... I'm not like your musical entertainment. Like a jukebox. Yeah, that's not how this works. Like, don't just email me and say, you should do this. And I remember one person actually getting upset that I didn't cover. They had messaged me a few times, and I was like, oh, yeah, I'm, you know, I'm unfamiliar with that song. And I was really trying to be nice and come up with any excuse Let them down easy, yeah. (laughs) And then finally I just had to be like, yeah, here's the deal. I'm not going to cover that song. (laughs) And they were kind of assholes about it. And so... The idea was under under the name Hotel Nights, essentially, it allowed me the freedom that I can do whatever I want. I can make an Americana record. I can make an indie rock record. If I want to make a folk record, if I want to make just a 
old school rock and roll or a punk rock record. Or if I want to tap into like, you know, the, the people like that are still huge influences on me, but like people like Marvin Gaye. And if I want to make some kind of soul record, then I could do that. And it all just goes under that one name. And so, um, when I started back over, I took all of my own music off of Spotify. So when you look at my name, all that's left is the voice recordings, you know? Um, and there's just this freedom in it. It's kind of nice, you know? It's like a reset. Yeah. And, and it's a lot of hard work to, to reestablish yourself in any industry to just say, I'm going to start over from scratch. And I like got rid of all these songs that I'd written for years. Cause they were just so, so sad. Um, cause I'd gone through just a lot of tragedy in, in a short amount of time. So I get, I, I basically shelved these songs and started back over in the summer of 2019. And, uh, that was kind of that. I was like, all right, well, this is going to be hotel nights. I'm going to write whatever I want to write, and anyone who doesn't like it can just not come to a show. Right. <laughs> well, it seems like, I don't know, you hear musicians a lot talk about writing as their catharsis, but there's probably something in that that it felt, you know, as like a, a you were growing or like a, an experience that helped you, help push you forward, almost like, you know, wiping the slate clean type of thing. That, that was that's absolutely it, you know. Um, I think that some of the subject matter that I was writing about and like all I pride myself on the honesty of my songs. Um, but I realized that I was just kind of like, just, I really, I was just letting my depression like do the writing for me and I didn't want that anymore. Um, and I also realized that I was writing for the sake of writing, not writing with purpose in mind. And so adjusting how I approached that and saying, and being willing to walk away from a song and say like, you know, not right now. Okay. Um, maybe all I lacked was a, a third verse or something, but I would just be like, you know what? That song can wait. And, and kind of just grabbing, you know, you grab the wheel, you take the reins yourself and realize, well, I'm in control of all of this for myself. So hotel nights was essentially, Essentially me grabbing the reins, you know, and then that way, whoever com is available musician wise, you know, uh, any of my friends that are available to play the shows as well, I, that's when I can reach out to them, you know, say, well, here are the songs, you know, so I don't know, it, it really, there's a freedom in it and I just kind of basked in it, so. Uh, definitely, I mean, it makes a lot of sense, man, it's just kind of what we were just talking about, like, mm -hmm. you just have an opportunity to do the thing you want to do and not feel like you're just checking a box. Just like, yeah. I'm just writing, just going through the motions. Yeah. Kind of thing. And that uh, you hear it, about bands doing that in the studio. They mm -hmm. put out a record cause they were on contract to put out a record. Cause the labels crawling up their ass to put it out. Right. And, and it's like, that's why they always joke that, you know, the first record is the best one. Cause you got, you have your entire your life, to, life write that to write your first record. Write yeah. the first one. And then, <laughs> you know, that's why the sophomore slump is a, you know, it's a thing. Right. Um, you don't see it as often anymore. Um, the landscape is completely different. Oh my god, yeah. it's I, I can't keep up. <laughs> <laughs> I'm like TikTok. Y'all, you guys have fun with that. I, <laughs> I I can't do it. I'm I'm too busy, anyways. <laughs> well, like that's a good transition. A little bit, um, you know, kind of going into this, we talked about 
having this me be more of like an earnest conversation. Totally. Um, and so, you know, I'm not going to do the checklist of like, I had, you know, I prepared some questions, but I'm not going to make sure like, oh, make sure to ask that thing. Yeah. <laughs> but that's this just really lends itself that literally the first question I have here is, you know, what do you like about, what do you like and dislike about how music is consumed and put out now versus back whenever you're first starting? Um, I like the accessibility of it. You know, um, as much as I loathe how I think streaming services take advantage of artists. Um, and the problem is the artists don't have a choice. They have, you just kind of have to get with it or you, or you get on the ship or jump off at sea. Fall in line, yeah. That's, it is one of those situations. It just kind of is what it is. Um, I like the accessibility of it, though, because it's such a, an inspirational tool to have at your fingertips and just say, hey, like, oh, like, if I'm in the studio and I'm working, I'm like, I'm like, okay, this is what I want the drum tones to sound like on this song. And I could pull up a song and it's like, oh, okay, cool. And then we can f we can kind of fine-tune the drums to be tonally like that. Um, and so it's a, it's a good instrument to have and tool to use when you're recording and if you're looking for inspiration. Um, I dislike, though, the the feeling that it kind of gives people of of a temporary a short term thing um you know when you in the age we live in the age of singles now right um i like records i like listening to albums front to back i want to i kind of i want to see the forest for the trees here you know and and not just focus on a single limb um and there was also a lot of artistry in what artists did when they were making a record, you know, because they would record 20 songs and 10 of them made it on there. And you'd say, like, well, what is it that we're really trying to say here? So, um, so my dislike with it is I've, I don't feel like people are uh, as vulnerable to music as they used to be. Um, we kind of like something and then three weeks later we're on to the next thing and i mean i still go back and listen to records that i you know artists that i discovered when i was like 16 you know, and that's 20 years ago and so so often we find our own identity um or at least parts of our identity in the music that we listen to you know and that's and and that's kind of the cycle you know this the the singer or the songwriter um might feel alone when writing the song and then somebody might feel alone when they hear the song but then they start thinking like well this person feels like i do and then they go to the show and there's the, the energy and the connection you know um and that still exists it's just not as frequent as it used to be you know i i think the i mean it's crazy to think that back in the day you know back in the 70s 60s and 70s People would take a vinyl record and put their headphones on and listen to it. <laughs> they weren't checking their phone. They weren't they weren't seeing, you know, who's tweeting what and There's what's, just less what's on the gram, right? Yeah. And you would listen to it and they would listen to lyrics and guitar licks and drum fills and all these things. And you got you got to know the band that way. Um, or the artist. And now it's like this isn't compressed enough, you know, like 
so 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 often you hear artists putting out music that all sounds kind of homogenous. It's all the same. You know, it's over compressed mixes, it's over compressed mastering and, and the drums, like there's there's no dynamics in the songs a lot. And even creatively and genre wise, a lot of them sound the same. Um, and that's a bummer. I want to be like, hey, I know that you're doing this because it's what people want to hear. But if you're if you're a musician doing what people want to hear, then are you an artist? I don't think so. I think you're an entertainer. Right. You know what I mean? Yeah. And you might you might play all the instruments yourself. You might write the lyrics. You might have a lot of investment in this. But I don't know necessarily if you're being an artist because you're you're just doing what everybody else is doing. Yeah. It's like where's your, where's the heart? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, if you know, it's like this is a terrible example, but if Van Gogh did nothing but try to make Pablo Picasso ripoffs, then he wouldn't be Van Gogh. You know what I mean? Yeah. It was because he was himself, and 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 that's how artistry is. You got to go for the individualism. You know that's why the monumental artists that we see coming out these days, others are not doing what like Lizzo, for example, right? Genius, <laughs> right. like a lover, and that's because she was she's doing stuff that others were not doing. I mean, the whole flute thing—it's amazing. It's amazing <laughs> while playing the flute. Right, and she does. She just doesn't give a fuck. Like that's the best part. Yeah, because she's like, I am who I am, and if you don't like it, you can kiss both sides of my ass. <laughs> you know, and it's great because she's an artist. She does what she wants. You know, Solange is the same way. Um, and then you know, in the rock world, you've got like the National. I can't really name. A, I can't name other bands that sound like the National. Um, that were their predecessors but I can name bands that sound like the national now that are trying to sound like the national, you know, Radiohead is the same way. Like if you hear Radiohead on the radio, you're like, Oh yeah, that's Radiohead. Like you just know. And, and it's because they weren't looking at the rest of the world, the world thinking, well, what should we do? They just did it and let the rest of the world come to them. And that's artistry to me. You know what I mean? Yeah. It was like something of like, you know, the contemporaries pushing each other to get better versus something to emulate. Like, mm-hmm. I think, like, then an example that comes to mind is, like, um, uh, Pet Sounds. Yeah, and how totally. How publicly and, like, well-known and documented it is that the Beatles were like, what the fuck is this? Oh, yeah, yeah. And, and that's so that's thing. really dope. And those guys played off of each other because made each the, other better. The Beatles admired the Beach Boys, and the Beach Boys admired the Beatles. And there was a respect there. And... I don't think they ever sounded alike. I really don't. Now, the way that they made their records was very different, but you can definitely hear the influences of both on either or record, and that's what's cool, you know? Um, it's kind of like how, you know, Bob Dylan is a huge influence on Bruce Springsteen, and you can hear it, you can really hear that 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 influence kind of peak out every once in a while, but like on the... I mean, God, like, Tunnel of Love, like, that record is incredible to me, you know? And Springsteen has such a distinct kind of Americana voice. I mean, it's almost like the Americana voice, you know? Um, so when you have this 80s stuff coming out, and it's got all, like, the chorus on the guitars and digital yeah. stuff and synthesizers <laughs> finally getting used, <laughs> but you have Springsteen doing it, it's like, man, now it's cool, though, you know? The boss is doing it now. Well, yeah, it's just, that's kind of like, hey, if he's doing it, <laughs> hmm. <laughs> I mean, literally, 
You got to do it now because he's the boss. He's, he's telling boy. you what to do. He, yeah, it's his call. <laughs> <laughs> it's his world. We just live in it. It is a little bit. I mean, what you mentioned is so true that it, it's so driven by singles now. And kind of what I've noticed is that, you know, mid to early 2000s, the big thing was like, oh, you know, these these uh these record labels are just chewing these bands up and spitting them out, these small bands. But now it's almost like the streaming services have become the label. Yeah. And you hear about things like bands or musicians putting out songs based on streams. Like, mm-hmm. oh, I know that a song will, that's two minutes long gets more streams. Like, I'll, I'll come up, I'll pop up on things just because the length of my song, and it's like affecting the art. Right. And that's so interesting to me, too. I'm like, wow, this is like kind of come full circle that the access is unprecedented now. But now here's the new thing that's kind of shaping the how people are putting out their art. Yeah, and I, you know, I think that I, and I, I believe this, and I've believed this for years, that if you do something for just the simple sake of doing it, then don't. You know what I mean? So it's, it's like what I was saying earlier. Like, if you're sculpting your music to be like, oh, this is going to get me streams, this is going to get me plays, da-da-da, that's not art. That's, that's not, that is soulless, you know, because you're, it's, cap, it's capitalism infused in music. And that's heartbreaking because there are some really amazing artists out there that are not doing that. And they'll get overshadowed because people just want, they want easy bubblegum, chewing gum kind of bullshit. Yeah. What I've heard, let's keep it going. Yeah. And the, be like having music that's easy to consume, one, doesn't make it good. And two, harkens back to what I was saying about, about, uh, people not wanting to be as vulnerable in music as they used to be. And a lot of that, I think, is because, you know, I mean, a lot of people look at, like, their Instagram as like, well, this is my brand. I'm like, cool, what are you selling? And they're like, myself. And I'm like, what? (laughs) You hooking? Like, (laughs) what are you selling of yourself? Oh, just my face. Who gives a shit? (laughs) I'll see it on the sidewalk. I can... I can just meet you in person. I don't need to look at your Instagram, you know? And that's what's funny is it's, like, this idea. I mean, it kind of, that even goes into, like, the idea of, like, influencers. You know, like, hey, I post some thirst traps. Now I have 100,000 followers and brands are hiring me to post a thirst trap but hold their bottle of water at the same time. <laughs> what, is, like, what an interesting time we live in. It's crazy to me. It's it is like, crazy If you try to, to explain that, like, I think about it all the time. Like, someone woke up out of a coma after, like, even just 10 years, <laughs> you'd be like, well, some shit's happened. Yeah. And it'd just be like they'd be coming out to a completely different they'd world. They'd probably be like, put me back under. Well, my brother, for example, my brother was in prison for a while. Yeah. And it's like, I had to teach him how to use a phone. Like, he doesn't Shh. use a fucking smartphone Oh, before. my God. Like, you know what I mean? It's shit that we don't think about. And I'm like, so much has changed, and you missed it because of, you know, where you were, mm-hmm. but it's like, fuck, like I've, I took that. I don't know. It's just like the, you think everyone knows what you know. And yeah. then I'm like, dude, I didn't even think about that. You didn't experience this the same time that I did. You know, I was, I was having this conversation with my therapist a few weeks back and I was telling her that I think one of the issues with the world, I mean, definitely social media has, has magnified toxicity but I think one of the issues is I don't think humans are meant to be this connected. It is. It it's we're connected now than 
any other time in human history. Right. More now than any We're other We're connected time. with strangers. Like, and, and people feel this freedom to just be assholes to you, you know? And it's, it's so weird because it's like they've just forgotten this part of humanity. That's that keyboard courage for sure. Oh, yeah. Dude, like the other day, so um, Kendrick Perkins and I follow each other on Twitter. And he had, he tweeted something out and, uh, oh, it was the, he was talking about um, Draymond Green had said in an interview that he was the best defensive player in NBA history. I saw that, yeah. And I <laughs> I commented, all I did was I commented, well, I hope Lou Dort covers him for the rest of the season. And these Two accounts just start being like, yo, how do you have a check mark? What's it like to be like, you're just a nobody motherfucker? I feel like I remember that. on It was on Twitter, you said? Yeah. And so these guys jump into it. Vaguely remember remember that happening. And I I had a a lot of, I mean, I quote, I just, I took a screenshot and I just said, hey, this website's free, you know? (laughs) And Twitter.com is crazy, isn't it? Dude, it's just nuts. And so, but these guys, like, turns out they're just rich little teenage boys. And they were just being pieces of shit to a total stranger and attacking me because I, you know, have 3,600 followers, but I'm verified. And so it's like, what's how you be verified in a nobody? And it's like, what? What does that have to do with the price of anything, you know? And so I, I remember them going back and forth and back and forth and friends jumping in on it and all this stuff. And by the end of it, uh, and I had muted most of the responses and I was just like, this is just too taxing. By the end of it, I finally just chimed in and I said, what were you hoping to accomplish? Yeah, like, what's the goal of like, that? Like, what's your end game here? Yeah. What are you hoping to you, you insult a stranger, and you have no idea who I am, what I've been through, anything. And this kid's bragging about how many shoes he has in his collection. But I was just like, what's your end game? And he never responded. And it's like, cool, okay. Thank you for the answer. That was exactly <laughs> what I was looking for. <laughs> well, it's just people... People get so, you know, they're unhappy with themselves, and then they want to make you feel like you should yep. be unhappy. Or we, I think like you're less. It makes me, they think it's going to make them feel better. We live in the age of projection more than oh, yeah. any other time in history, I think, you know. Dude, this is crazy. Like, <laughs> I, we could have not planned this, but literally the two questions, the first two questions I have written down, like, this is the perfect transition I love it. to this I love next it. question. <laughs> but it is... Um, I don't know, man. Like, what what is the biggest misconception people have about you? What do people get wrong? Like, they have it figured in their mind for whatever reason, and it doesn't necessarily have to bother you. But what is something that that sticks out to you when I ask you that? Um, there's a couple things. When I was in, when I started this band, Defining Times, back in, um. I guess that would have been December 2010 um, or January 2011, around there. Uh, we were playing at Norman Music Festival, and um, this guy that I know, like, and, and we're friends, but he was talking to one of the guys in the band with me and was like, what's it like to be in a band with Chase? And my friend was like, well, it's great. Why? And he was like, oh, I just heard he's a huge asshole. And he was like, no, why would, what? And... So there was just this, and I had multiple people say to me, like, I'd meet them, and they'd be like, man, you're not at all like what I've heard. And I'm like, my God, what have you heard? 
they'd be like, I just heard you were an asshole. And I was like, who the fuck is saying this? <laughs> you know, like, like I'm volunteering. I like literally work for a nonprofit. I'm giving to the community. I'm doing my best to help the scene and doing my best to help other people. And I get painted as an asshole. And so, um, I've never, uh, I've never been like a Nazi in the band. I've all, I always ask, like, I'm like, Hey, you know, you guys are better at these instruments. Like, these are just ideas, just whatever you think is best. And then let's try to meet in the middle. Um, so the whole asshole thing to me was kind of weird. Um, because I love people and I love, I love being able to, to hear their stories and, and just be a part of their lives, you know? Um, so there's that. And then um, I did this Kickstarter campaign in, like, October 2017. Um, and I had just started working at Arts Council. Um, I'd only been there for, like, a few weeks. And I get this, I get this text message from a friend, uh, an old bandmate, and he goes, man, can you believe this is... Because this guy's name is like Zach or something. He's like, hey, can you believe this is Zach, son of a bitch? And I was like, who? I had no idea. And he sends me a screenshot. And the guy had had put on his Facebook status. Um, and he's a local comedian here. I never met the guy in my entire life. Never met him in my entire life. And he put on his Facebook status. Um, like, I, like, I would never donate to... Chase Kirby's Kickstarter, that sexist motherfucker, da 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 And he, like, starts, like, saying, like, I mean, he's, like, doing all shit, but he says all of it, and he never tagged me, right? And I'm like, well, clearly you don't have a spine. But he said something like, the only way I would donate to his campaign is if he stopped playing his shitty acoustic, white boy acoustic music or something like that. So I messaged him, and I said, I'm, I don't think we've ever met. Uh, if I did something in the past to piss you off, I'd love to know what it was so I can apologize for it. Um, but I, I don't know who you are, right? And he called me the sexist whatever. And I found that ironic since at the time I was also serving on the advisory council for Planned Parenthood. <laughs> it's like, dude, kiss my ass, man. I'm actually putting <laughs> legwork into trying to make things better. I'm out, I'm I'm putting sweat equity into my community, and what do you do? All you do is talk shit. And then what happened is, as soon as I messaged him, he never got back to me, and he deleted his entire Facebook profile. Jeez. Yeah. He had that kind of power over him. Well, it's just like one of those deals. Where it's like, dude, what the fuck? Like, I don't know who you are, and like, what's your problem? With, I I I why you know? So the thing is, though, I just eventually was just like, whatever, you know, just went on and on with my life. <laughs> So. Well, I think you're right, man. Like what you said earlier, it's so true that it's it's the era of projection. Like, and it it's has sad. To, it's it's super people, sad. People Heartbreaking. Maybe need help, and then they don't know how to express express themselves in a way yeah. that's constructive. So then they like think that they have to bring people down around them, or they and may not even know that they're actively doing it. Yeah, and that's the thing is I don't I don't think they they do and something for me um, especially in in the recent four years last four or five years at least since my dad passed like something for me that's always been a goal is like I need to be self aware of everything if I like even if I'm drunk if I'm an ass to someone I need to apologize 
So one of my number one rules in life is always be the first to apologize, whether it's in uh, friendships or romantic relationships, always be the first to apologize. Because the thing is, we have to be able to put ourselves in other shoes. And I think oftentimes people didn't, they don't want to put themselves in my shoes. They think, uh, another misconception is people think I grew up rich and I absolutely did not. You know what I mean? Um, and a lot of people don't know about my family history or my personal history. Um, and that's okay. Uh, they don't need to know, but they also don't need to act like they do. They assume. Yeah. Bingo. People assume. <laughs> and I'm not, I mean, I can't speak to your life too much, but I'm like, give the guy a break. He works at a nonprofit. <laughs> like, <laughs> right. You know what I mean? Like, fuck, like we're, you're just working like anybody else. You're not Dude, having, being spoon fed. No, at all. Like I, I'm looking at an Oklahoma teacher salary, just know. like, yo, what's up? You like, know? I don't feel like I need to vouch for you because you don't need or validate you because you don't need validation. But it's like kind of a bummer when you like now that I'm hearing that, I'm like, man, that sucks that people aren't people don't know you and they think that they do because yeah. they heard someone say something one time or something. They've they've made their mind up because they heard someone Tell them how they should think about you. Yeah, and it's like, it's it's the perfect example is I remember sitting in an intersection once, and all I did was look over at the other car, right? And the person just looked at me and said, fuck you, and flipped me off. And I was like, all I did was look over. How dare you look at me? That was it. And I was like, maybe I have just that look on my face, you know? Like, I've been, you know, it's always idiots in trucks as they're driving. <laughs> It, Listen, I live in Yukon. I know what you're saying. Oh, you know exactly. What it's, it's these jabrones, you know, these country bumpkins come out and all of a sudden, but they just yell these like expletives and you're just at you and you, oh, it's like, dude, I'm just waiting for the crosswalk to turn. Like what, what in your life made you think that it was a good idea to look at a stranger on the street, call them a name as you were driving by? How sad for you. It's <laughs> you just, know? Honestly, a lot of that's probably is just modeling, man. Like, yeah, they were belittled growing up, and had to be they it. think you they need to belittle you. Daddy didn't give them enough hugs. Something, you know? something like that. I mean, but I can't speak to it for sure. But but I've had. I mean, I've even had to deal with with old bandmates in the past where you know they didn't want to be in a band with me because I came from a pop rock background, and it's like, well, we're not making pop rock now, dude. Like, what does my background have to do with shit? Well, it's not your identity, you know. You know? Like, yeah, and and. I don't know. People just, people are weird. Even the people that you consider friends and family or, you know, like I had people that I, they were, I, I considered them brothers and they, they would jump ship. The first sign of struggle, they jump ship. And it's like, dude, that sucks, man. That sucks. Cause I would have laid, I would have laid myself on the line for you. And in several cases I did, but it didn't matter. You know, people just, people want, they want the easiest path they can take. And that includes to mental health. And so they'll think belittling somebody is the easy path. And really it's just sad for them. Because eventually what's going to happen is they're going to be alone. And well, they're yeah. going to have to deal with their own thoughts. They're going to, yeah. Well, if it isn't the consequences of my own actions. Right. <laughs> showing up out of nowhere. Plus it's a classic rule. Misery loves company, man. People who are just unhappy are the ones that are going to want to make others unhappy. Including strangers on the street waiting for a crosswalk to turn on. One hundred percent. I mean, that's <laughs> what it is. It's weird. It's weird. It's just, yeah. I mean, that is. I get it, man. Like, it's just a bummer when you hear that shit or scuttlebutt gets back to you, and you're like, "Why would they possibly yeah. think that about me?" Like, I'm not. 
Especially when it's like, Doing I don't that. even know who that is. Yeah. Like, I've what? never met that person, you know? And I, I love people. I love hanging out with people. I love conversations with people. I love learning about them. I love being around them. Like, I keep an open mind and an open heart when I'm around people. Because everybody's got a story. Everybody's got a story. And we got we to gotta remember to listen. And, and, and I think that when we start shutting that part off, we're, that's also just equally losing parts of our humanity, you know? Like, maybe that's kind of what we're missing nowadays. We're not listening anymore. We sure as shit aren't forgiving people anymore, you know? And that, that sucks. It's like, well, where are we going to be in 30 years from now? We're going to be up shit creek with a turd paddle. Yeah, hating everybody. Dude, right? Everybody hating everybody. Just going to be a hate. It's a hate party. <laughs> the play hate is ball. It's <laughs> like my favorite. I hope the worst things ha- in life happen to you and you alone. <laughs> Buck nasty. Buck nasty. <laughs> well, I think it's, I mean, it just shows, you know, when you go through shit, it's a bummer, of course, but then you later learn, like, okay, because this happened, I now have a better sense of who I am as a person. Mm-hmm. And how you handle things is huge. So without it being too cliche, it's like I would want to know, not necessarily, like, music career-wise or anything, just in life, really. Yeah. What was something that you wish you would have known when you were like 18, 19, 20 in that age that you have gained over experience now that you would have been like, this would have really helped me out at that time. Something that I wish I would have known. Um, For the longest time, and I'm getting, I'm still working through a lot of it, but I, I did worry about what others would think, but I never would use that as a way to change what I was doing. But it was always just worried, like, will I be accepted? You like take in that anxiety, but you're never. I took in the anxiety doing and I, anything. And I to lived with it. it, but it never got to. It never touched my creativity, you know. Um, and I, I wish that I could go back in time and look at my 18 year old self and just be like, "Don't give a fuck," because if you're so concerned and so worried about what others are thinking, then the real problem is is you're going to end up getting in your own way. And that sucks. When you when you when you decide to finally just say when you let it go this kind of relief comes over you and you're like, "Man, you know what? I'm doing okay." Cuz if you got if you've got three people in your life that will be just gut-wrenchingly honest with you and still love you at the end of it, you got all the wealth in the world. You got everything you need right there, you know? But if you're constantly doing something to appease others, you're never going to know who you truly are, which means that the people that love you don't know who they love because they don't have that, they don't know who you are. You just, you got to be yourself. So if I could do anything, I'd go back in time. I would stare my twerpy ass in the eyes, okay? (laughs) And I would say, first of all, buy some clothes that fit. Secondly, stop giving a shit. About all, about all of these things that exist that you are, are, are draining your brain with and your energy with. Stop, stop it, and, and just go be you and believe in yourself because you're a good person and you got a good head on your shoulders and that's all you need. Just keep going, you know. That's what I would say. Man, that, I mean, it's true, and it's, 
don't know, you, you've probably thought about it before t- um, as well, but it's just like sometimes I think about the things I was worried about at that time, and I'm like, man, I thought that was the end of the world. Like, I thought. I was trying to make out. <laughs> I was trying to, like, I didn't kiss a girl till I was 17, you know, and yeah. and at that point in time, I think a lot of my friends, like, had already, like, lost their virginity, and here I am, like, like, well, you guys go have fun. <laughs> you know, I was just so, I was so timid. I didn't know how to talk to women. I didn't know, I didn't, I didn't know how to talk to myself. I didn't know who I was, you know, right. so, I mean, how could I communicate with anybody if I don't know who I am? So, um, yeah, it was just kind of this thing, and I, I remember that, and in hindsight, it's like, man, just grow a spine and and never be afraid to be yourself. And I think, I will say, I do think now people are very open to being a little bit more out there and, and whatever because we're realizing we live in this huge world, you know. There's a place for everybody, you know, that when people say a seat at the table – they think it's a an actual table. It's like no, no, it's a metaphor. Okay, <laughs> it's a metaphor. That table can be as big as we want it to. Yeah, be. you don't have to fit into this box necessarily. Every in my books, everybody's welcome. Yeah, you know. So of course that's easy for me to say. I mean, I'm a blue-eyed, brown-haired white guy in America. Yeah. Like, it's not so bad, guys. What yeah. are y'all talking about? I mean, in theory, nobody's <laughs> got it easier than me. Right. You know, and so I get it. But I think empathy is a really important, um, really important character trait, uh, I think sympathy is as well when it's, um, when it's right, you know, but, yeah. I mean, empathy is always, if nothing else, a great starting point. Yeah. If you're like, damn, you know what, that's shitty, and I felt that before, like, let me go up and boot. Boost this person up, or Dude, yeah. share an encouraging word, or just Dude, and I'm tell not someone af- you thought about them. And I'm not afraid to cry with people anymore. Like I'm not. Like I watch movies, and I'll total. I'm a total crier. You know, when I was younger, I'd never do it because it was like, oh, guys don't cry. Yeah. Guys don't cry. It's not macho. And then it's like, you know what? The toughest person I've ever known in my life is my mother, and I've watched her cry a million times. Why can't I do it? She's a hell of a lot tougher than I am. <laughs> you know, Dude, dead ass. Yeah. It's like, hey, she's she's got. You know, she's got bigger stones than any guy I've ever met. <laughs> and and if she can cry, damn right I can cry. Yeah, man. No sure. shame. No shame whatsoever. Dude, I'm I feel you, dude. I'm a I'm a crier for sure. Oh, and I can't yeah. drink don't get me drinking because then it's like amplified. Speaking of, I'm about to reach up there for that Jack Daniels. I know. <laughs> they left the they left the the uh the cabinets open. They're like, damn. Literally a top shelf shit. <laughs> their their <laughs> mistake. <laughs> Yoink. <laughs> oh my gosh. Um, one thing you know, you talk about some of the music you've written and stuff and such. One thing that I think is always fun to talk to people about, that especially creatives, you know. Um, is there a song that comes to mind where you're like, "Damn, I wish I would have wrote that." Oh. Like, I uh, if I could just. Take this song, and all of a sudden, people think I wrote this. This would be the song. That uh, there's I did. a million of them. There's a million of them. Uh, one of the first songs that I ever had that feeling about was uh, "Last Goodbye" by Jeff Buckley. I I got Grace when I was 16, and I heard that song. And there's a line in it that says, "Like, you know, kiss me, uh, please kiss me, kiss me out of desire, not consolation." And I was like, "Shit, Golly. that's a good line." And the way he sings and delivers it, you know, I mean, it's just incredible. So that song, um, 
and then also he wrote the song Lover You Should Have Come Over, which is on that record, you know, and there's, you know, this kind of line in the bridge where he's saying, um, well, it's, so there's, there's several lines in that song, you know, like, uh, per looking out the door, I see the rain fall upon the funeral mourners parading in a wake of sad relation as their shoes fill up with water. I mean, just this, this description of everything, but he says, you know, there's this line that says like, you know, all my blood for the sweetness of her laughter, um, you know, my kingdom for a kiss upon the shoulder. She's a tear that hangs inside my soul forever. I mean, it was just poetry. Jesus. Yeah. Yeah. That sounds, um, sounds like a, like someone wrote a book. Not even, that doesn't even sound like a song. Right. That's crazy. Um, one of my favorite bands of all time is Elbow. Uh, this band out of Manchester, and they uh, Guy Garvey, the singer, is one of my all-time favorite lyricists. I mean, we're talking top three, you know. Uh, and he has a song uh, where he says a line: uh, "We took the town to town last night, and we kissed like we invented it." And Damn. I just think that that line is so good. That's some baller shit. Yeah, it's so good. And that's another thing too. Is that we're missing a lot of romance and lyrics nowadays. You know, people actually using vocabulary instead of just "baby, <laughs> where's my baby?" And you're like, "Stop saying you said baby fifteen times in the first verse. Stop it. Stop it. Use your words, bro. You know." Um, so there's some elbow tunes. I think the 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 one song I can say right now that I wish I had written. Uh, would be Vampires by Jason Isbell. And he's got a line in that song uh, where he says, it's not your nails leaving love's watermarks. <laughs> so I remember, Christ. I heard that, I remember, when I, you know, I got that record and I, I heard that line for the first time and I just immediately got chills and was like, my God, that is the imagery, everything in that one line is, it's brilliant, it's beautiful, it's intimate. I mean, it's all the, there's so many things that you can pull from that one line. And I was like, fuck, I wish I wrote that. Well, it's like, <laughs> I do think about that all the time, you know. It's just like, how the fuck did people think that stuff up? And people write new songs. I'm like, how does that not been said already? Like, that's yeah. so crazy to me. Yeah, it's. I've always just had a huge appreciation for for lyricists, you know. Yeah. Like, and it's that's amazing. I Playing shows now, I mean, I've, I'm 36, and I've, I played my first show when I was 15, so I played for 21 years, um, at least first show of, like, playing guitar and singing when I was 15. Um, I played music prior to that um, with, like, band and stuff. Um, but playing all these shows, and I've always been a lyric junkie. I started writing poetry before I write, wrote lyrics. And, but my, in, in the 21 years I've played shows, people are always like, oh, lyrics don't matter. Lyrics don't matter. And I'm like, that is the only thing that matters yeah. to me. I would rather the song sound just very mundane, but it, my, but my lyrics be on point, you know? Um, because I don't want to cheapen the words with the music and I don't want to cheapen the music with the words. So it, to me, lyrics, you got to put time into it, right? You know? um, so with, any, with any craft, you know, yeah, you know. you get out what you put in. Yeah, I think I had written before I graduated high school. Um, I like tallied it up, and I had written like, so I got my first guitar when I was fifteen, uh, 
it's like February of my freshman year. Um, and by the time I had graduated three and a half some odd years later, I think I'd written, it was like 378 songs. Jeez. Like a like song for every day of the year. I didn't change. Well, I like, I didn't go out. I didn't go to parties in high school. My dad, I remember my dad giving me shit once because I was 16. I had my car and he was like, it was a Friday night. And he goes, oh, what are you doing tonight? And I was like, oh, I'm probably just staying in and writing. He was like, <laughs> and he looks at me and he just, my dad goes, you don't have a date? I said, no. And he goes, what's the matter with you, boy? <laughs> and I was like, uh, okay, I guess I need to try to ask someone on a date. And I, so I asked this girl on a date and uh, it took her like three weeks to say yes which was, I should have just been like, this is bullshit. <laughs> like, it's like, let me, um, let me check. So then we go, it was a double date. It was a casual thing. It was like, you know, it was an absolute gentleman. A group hang. It was. Went to a movie, and I remember being at the movie theater, and I see all the jocks. And this girl was like, I mean, she was way prettier and out of my league, right? Well, not anymore. Whatever. I don't think, any, I don't think anybody's out of anybody's <laughs> league. Oh, I don't believe that. I don't uh, believe in leagues anymore. I like that energy. Yeah, that's the thing. I don't. I'm not saying that like, oh, I'm Fabio because I'm absolutely not. <laughs> like I joke with my girlfriend all the time that I look my, you know, I I have no ass. I look like a frog trying to stand up. You know, <laughs> got that Hank Hill butt. Uh, dude, I got it, man. You know, I'm I'm a skinny ass white guy. That's just that's the territory. But I so I remember her like being at the movie theater and the jocks. These popular guys are all over here, and all their parents were rich. You know, so it's like, of course, they can have the nice cars and all this stuff. Like, who gives a shit about cars? I was driving a 1991 Mitsubishi Montero. That thing was a piece of shit. Wow. The, the radiator broke on me in the middle of the night. Like, it was a terrible thing. But she went over there and didn't un- and didn't realize that I could hear their conversation. And, said, and they were like, who are you here with? And she's like, um, I'm here with Chase. And they're like, uh, and they're like, she was like, Chase Kirby. They're like, you're here with Chase? What the fuck? And it was like, these guys just were like, uh, and then I, you know, at the end of the night, I walked her to her door, um, as I was taught to do, you know, I, I, at least at the time, I thought that was a gentlemanly thing. I wasn't trying to kiss her or nothing. Uh, so I walk her to the door and, and, and I said, well, hey, I had a great time. Thanks for going with me tonight. She just, and she goes, she goes, yeah, thanks. And then shuts the door. Dang. And I was like, what the shit you're just like, happened? What ta- just happened? You're like talking to her through the crack of the door. You I'll know, see you later. <laughs> never never called her after that. Oh, man. Uh, never asked her out after that and promised myself that I would never, ever wait three weeks to get a yes for a, a simple movie date. You know what I mean? It's like somebody asks you out, just be honest. Be like, yeah, I don't know if you're my type. Well, you got to know your worth. You got to know your worth. You gotta yeah. know, it's like a balance. You got to know your worth, but you also... I mean, there's some give and take. You've got to put in a little work. You can't just expect a yes yeah. right away. Like Swing for the fences if you, know you want. I mean? yeah. You know what I mean? Like, yeah. But it's a balance. It is a balance. And that was one of those things. It was like, you know what? I'm going to be confident from now on. I'm going to believe in who I am. But I'm also, I've never dropped a one-liner. I've never been the guy at the bar that just goes up to a random girl and is like, hey, can I buy you a drink? <laughs> or says some cheesy line. I don't right. do that. Like I, I wouldn't approach girls at bars. I just wouldn't do it. And and it's because I just was always of the belief that that if it is of value and it if if it could be a good relationship, then somehow it's gonna figure itself out. Which it did. My girlfriend now, we've been together for three years and she came up to me, you know? 
And I said, okay, okay. <laughs> okay, you fine woman. You know what you want. <laughs> she, and that was the thing. <laughs> and that's the joke. She'll, she'll be like, I knew what I wanted. Dang. And I'm like, I'm glad you did because God knows I was going in circles I and I saw this. you. So. I think about that all the time because I'm like, you know, it's funny. Like you look at yourself back in high school. And my fr- a friend of mine had kind of joked with me because uh, two of us are married and have been mm-hmm. married um, for some time now. And uh, he wasn't being hateful or anything, but he was like, man, if I had known, if I if you told me that you and Paul would be the first married out of all of us, I was like, that would have been so surprising to me. And he, like I said, he wasn't being hateful, but it was just like one of those things, like I didn't, I never really went on dates a lot. Yeah. Like never really had a, I wasn't like the guy that's just like, I have to have a girlfriend all the time. Like, yeah. And so, I don't know. A lot of it too was I was oblivious a lot. Like a girl would be like, I would find out years later that a girl liked me, and I'm like, oh, shit, I didn't even realize that. Dude, uh, yeah, I definitely had those moments where, like, (laughs) after my freshman year of college, I dropped out to, like, play music and tour and stuff, but I would still occasionally see old high school people, and I'd find out that they had, like, crushes on me. I had the biggest crush on you. I'm like, why didn't you say That doesn't help me now. Yeah, you didn't say shit. (laughs) What? (laughs) What? You know, but it all works out for the reason oh, I, yeah, I, right. how it should. You know, uh, I don't believe in predestination I, and all that, but or you know, chakras or karma and any of that. I I just I believe in science and and circumstance, and I believe in learning lessons, and I think that all of that does lead to uh, the happenstance of sometimes you're at the bar when the person you are destined to be with might be there, even though destiny isn't real. Yeah. You know, maybe you're just what each other are looking for at the time. So, um, but yeah, it, man, high school is weird. <laughs> it that is. Sh- that shit was so weird. You know, if I had any, if, if any high schoolers are listening to this, just be cool, man. Like, <laughs> like do not sweat that shit. Cause in 10 years, you're going to look back and go, I'm not going to that reunion. <laughs> nope. That's exactly right. I'm not paying money to hang out with assholes. Mm-mm. You know, <laughs> uh, well, we talked about, a song that you wish you would have wrote. Mm-hmm. Is there a song that you, and I can give you an example. I'm kind of putting you on the spot with some of these, but. I love it. Is there a song that was able to kind of articulate something or spoke to you in a way where you're like, man, you know what? I've felt that for a long time and I've never been able to articulate how I felt. Oh, um, God. Yeah. i give you an example. One is uh, I think about. Um, do you listen to Ben Rector at all? Or do you know who Ben Rector is, singer-songwriter yeah, guy? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Every once in a while he'll, like, pop up on, like, yeah. a, a Discover Weekly kind of thing. So he had a song called Hideaway, and some of it, part of it's probably, you know, I grew up in the church, not actively with the church now. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, he had a he had a song, that song Hideaway, and he's like, um, a couple parts. He's like, I have a mind full of questions, and they just won't let me be. yeah. Um. Uh, and then he says, um, "What does he say? It's like um, sometimes I want to follow Jesus. Sometimes he's hard to find. I never care about believing until I see I lost my way. Yeah. And the trouble's all around me, and all I can say is see me through another day. Yeah. Um, and I'm like, holy shit! <laughs> like that shit is. Well, I'm like, r- wow! I've never thought of that, but that's true. Like it's, it's real when you start. Something happens and you're like, man, like, do I believe that because I believe it or do I believe that because 
that's what I've been told my whole life. Same with brand new. Like, yeah. Um, Jesus Christ, I'm not scared to die, but I'm a little bit scared of what comes after. Yeah. You're like, oh, shit. Like, like that's a real line. That's like, a real line. I know that this is coming. Yeah. And I'm nervous. I, I know that that's coming, so I'm not scared of that. But what after after that, what is going to happen? Like, what happens? You know, there are there are some songs. Man. Yeah, there's a lot. There's a lot. Um, okay, repeat the question for me real quick so I can. It's like a song that. Maybe a lyric that stuck out to you where you're like, you know what? I've thought that. I've thought it a million as times, but I couldn't I can, articulate I've it. never been able to articulate that feeling, but this nails it right here. Um, so when my dad was diagnosed with cancer, the it was July. I got the phone call July 2016, and he was gone by October. Jeez, same year? Yeah. We had just discovered it. Man. Uh, it was just brutally aggressive. Um, and there was, I, I was listening to, um, I was listening to the Elizabethtown soundtrack. My dad lived in Grove, Oklahoma. It's about three hours from here. Um, and there are a couple songs that there's a band that that kind of got popular there for a little bit not really famous at all but but semi-popular because camera crow knows how to put together a good soundtrack and uh this band called helen stellar terrible band name (laughs) just terrible band name but they had this song called io and um the song in the movie, so the movie Elizabethtown, like, this guy's dad dies, and he's got to go back to the hometown to, like, bury his dad. Kind Jesus. Of and it's a southern town, and he is from the big city, and it's just a cultural shock, right? Um, but the song plays during a montage in the movie of him remembering being a little kid with his dad. And these these drives that I was making alone, you know, three hours to Grove and three hours back, and... and I mean, 30 minutes alone in the car is enough for you to to overanalyze the entire existence of humanity, let alone three hours. You know what I mean? <laughs> so, um, so I'm listening to it, and there were two songs. Um, one was that song, and it's, you know, it's this time around, this time around, you can be anything. And, and it plays out, and the memory is, is he's a little kid, and his dad's picking him up. And, and I'm just fucking losing my shit. I'm just, I, I am just all tears. That was one. And another song that I couldn't I couldn't listen to for years, uh, or at least for the first like three years after Dad died, um, was Elton John, "My Father's Gun." And the opening line is, "From this day on, I own my father's gun." And it was you know so after my dad passed, um, I inherited uh, a couple of his rifles that and they were rifles that I shot when I was a kid, you know, and. It was just that line was just so fucking literal. It was like, no, but for real. From this day on, I own my father's gun. I mean, it was it was some it's like more on the nose than you'd expect it to be. Yeah, but and literally, I own his guns. Somehow, it, it, the way that song is written, there are some lyrics in it. I, you know, he kind of talks. I think Elton John's his writer, the guy that his writing partner, um, 
wrote that from like the viewpoint of the Confederacy, like a Confederate soldier or something. So the English guy is writing about the Confederate. Yeah, you know, and so like <laughs> obviously, like I don't agree with that bullshit, but um, there were just these lines, and the way that the music is brilliant, and and the way that song evolves, that when the band kicks in, and it's just like you know, it's just him and the piano kind of during the verses, and then you have this drum fill, and it goes into the. It's like the the notes that he hits on his vocals, how he delivers it, the way the band comes in, all that stuff. I mean, I couldn't keep my eyes dry. And, yeah, man, that that one is, is a big deal. Those, those two songs specifically, I think that most of them kind of circulate around my, my dad's death because, I mean, so far that's, that is the, that's the biggest loss I've ever had, you know, um, especially just given such short time. I mean a year before my dad was diagnosed with cancer, we were filming The Voice, and we had no idea. And when he got diagnosed, it was just like, it was to the point that there was no coming back from it. It was just, it was too late, you know. So in that in that window of time in my life, those were just extraordinarily heavy times, but I was, I was really attaching to music more than I had ever attached, and finding myself in music, and, and, a lot of friends had kind of a lot of friends had reached out but at the same time a lot of friends had, had just faded away and there were times that i just i i really felt alone and it was the loneliest i'd ever been so my friend was music you know i found myself in these songs and once i worked through these songs making me so sad i realized like wait this is my foundation i'm going to grow off this now you know the tragedy is under my feet and it is concrete. It's going to be there, but I got to step up on it. And so this music really helped me with that. And I, yeah, I found myself in those tunes a lot. Um, and they're just good songs. I don't know. <laughs> well, it's like I, I, I don't think there's anything more. I'm grabbing like, the whiskey. That yeah, as I'm say, I'm gonna. I fucked those lyrics up, so I'm gonna look them up real quick. But I don't think there's anything more that can cut to just the pure like human emotion than what music does because we relate to it so in such a way that's just so crazy and it's so like intimate to us because i was just thinking about that you know the things the two that stuck out to me right away were the ones that dealt with like you know what what's what what is our existence what's our purpose and then yours with your father it's like man that's the things that have it had a huge impact on us, we find those things so easily. Like, yeah. just us as as people, you know, we look for patterns, we look for meaning, mm-hmm. and I think I music think is such a way that, that a huge way that I think that that happens for us. It's like we we look for patterns and we look for meaning um, if we are open to that, right? Because there's a lot of people that that are going to float through life. Like, for example, that stranger, that kid that was just absolutely trying to attack me on Twitter, right? And he starts bragging about all the money that his father makes. He starts bragging about his shoe collection. But it's a teenage kid who didn't do sh- He hadn't done shit in life. And he doesn't care about anybody else but himself, right? And it's like, there's always going to be those people. But before I can ever hate that person, I got to hope for that person, you know? And, and I hope that people are always willing to... To open themselves up, to look around and say, wait a minute, you know, like, 
this is a the time that we are in is fleeting because the one thing that you cannot buy is more time you can't do it and you know i don't i don't know what happens after we die maybe nothing maybe maybe that's it and in the grand scheme of the universe we are not even a speck on the radar not even We're a blip not. not even a blip like the earth itself is not a speck on the radar that's how vast everything is and so you might as well try to make any room you walk into one worth being in you know what i mean yeah and that's just kind of i i i used to worry about legacy a lot and i wanted to always be known for the songs that i had written i wanted to be like if I die, I want it to be like a Nick Drake thing where 30 years later, all of a sudden, they're playing my songs and there's a cult following. But at my dad's funeral, my dad was an incredibly talented person. He was like a stone sculptor. He was a wood carver. He was a carpenter. He was a classically trained vocalist. He was a saxophone player. I mean, and he was good at, he was, God damn. he was great at all these things. My dad sang in Canterbury Choral Society for like 30-something years, you know, like, once a year, he'd go to Colorado and, and take his truck and flatbed trailer, and he'd go to Fort Collins to the marble quarry there, and he'd come back with these five, 600-pound chunks of marble, and he would, he would sculpt these brilliant things out of it, right? Man, he must have been like Superman to you. Oh, my God. He kind of was. That's crazy. You know? And we were just extraordinarily close. I mean, we were, he was my best friend, you know? Um, but at his funeral... Afterwards, it was the night The night after his funeral, it was just this epiphany happened. I'd been so worried about my legacy, so worried about, like, how am I going to be remembered? How am I going to be remembered? And it was two things. One, you have no say in that. That's true. You have no say in how you're going to be remembered because people are going to remember you. They're going to think about you, think of you, whatever. That opinion is theirs. It's not yours. And two, you know, at the end of a funeral, you know, the family stands up front and then people walk by and, Shake your hand. Condolences, condolences, condolences. Such a strange. If I ever, ever got to hear the fucking word condolences again, I'm like, just kiss my, just be like, hey, can I buy you a beer or something? Like, I'd rather that. That's just such a strange thing, you know. That it's a weird thing. We don't, we so often don't experience that, and then when yeah. we do, it's like we don't know how to respond yeah. or how to act in that moment. So, like, when everyone was coming around to me, they looked at me and they were like. And and this isn't an exaggeration. Almost every single person that was there for my dad, when they got to me, they shook my hand and they looked me in the eyes and said, your father was the kindest person I ever met. And then that night, I, you know, of course you go through the motions because you're in the moment. It's like, oh, thank you, thank you, thank you. And we're all just fucking crying and losing our mind. And that night I was like, man, kindness is a hell of a legacy. And, you know, I remember when I watched that Patton Oswalt stand up and he lost his wife. Oh, shit. Dude, oh, no. so amazing. And he says that line. He says, it's chaos out there. Be kind. And you start realizing, like, man, that's the fucking value of life. Just go be kind. Be nice. And people don't want to be kind anymore because they don't want to even know who they are anymore. They don't want to know themselves. So... If if they're not willing to spend the time to know themselves, why would they spend the time to get to know someone else? So I hope everybody that listens to this finds a good therapist. 
Go work through your shit. <laughs> Don't waste your time because you're not getting it back. You know what I mean? <laughs> right. And go be kind. And understand that if someone's an asshole to you, maybe try to figure out why. Try to figure out what their story is because instead of being an asshole back, I mean, if you meet hate with hate, all you get is hate. Well, you get in what you put out. That's or you exact, get out what you put in. That's Sorry. exactly right. And so I just thought, like, you know what? Kindness is a hell of a legacy. That's cool. This is, okay, I got to show you this real quick. Space this out so I can isolate it. Sorry to whoever's Jack Daniel this is, but, you know, we're getting <laughs> some heavy shit here, and I'm going to need a little something stronger than melted ice. <laughs> the very the very last question I wrote, it didn't have anything to do with music. Look what that, look what I wrote. Oh, man, no shit. Isn't that crazy? <laughs> I wrote, oh, wow. uh, when, you're, when our time comes, what do you want your legacy to be? That's crazy. That's the very, we hadn't even... Like I said, I wasn't working in order, but I knew that shit would come up. Dude, Just I love it. From what we're talking about. Serendipitous. You uh, know. Okay, real quick, from what I fucked up earlier. <laughs> I looked up the lyrics because I was like, I really dicked that up. And if Ben Rector listens to this, he's going to be mad. <laughs> um, found out life is complicated, all, more gray than black and white. Sometimes I want to follow Jesus. Sometimes he's hard to find. Yeah. That was one. And then one that I thought of too, Ben Rector, I guess just, um, I really relate to the singer-songwriter types, I guess. And so uh, when my wife lost her mom, her mom had cancer for 12 years. Man, it was a long time. They gave her, she joked all the time about it, which was kind of like funny, but kind of awkward. She's just like, yeah, they gave me two, they keep giving me two months and I keep living all these years. I don't know. (laughs) She was hilarious. Man, 12 years for that, that's actually a pretty incredible thing, you know, and I think that when you have the diagnosis and you end up living that long, that's 12 years of unwasted life. Dude. Because you take nothing for granted. For sure. It's awesome. And she did all the, she always talked about how cliche, like, she was, because she did do all the stuff. She got a tattoo. Yeah, she hell yeah. She jumped out of an airplane. Hell yeah, she did. She did all that stuff. Well, it's like, you she know. She was hilarious. Look at my friend Jess. She's a cancer survivor, and she's about to climb Everest right now. That's rad. That's metal as fuck. Hell fucking yeah, it is. That's cool. Um. Well, this other song Ben Rector has called mm-hmm. when, "When a Heart Breaks." It's so relatable because it's like, I don't know, probably things. It, it probably goes along with things you have thought, and then when you hear it, you're like, "Oh, okay, yeah, this guy nailed it." So he said, "I heard the doctor, but what did he say?" I knew I was fine about this time yesterday. Um. I don't need answers. I just need some peace. I just need someone who can help me get some sleep. Yeah, hell I'm yeah. Like, fuck. Dude, and you know what? Stuff like that, I relate to more and more. And, like, right now is the busiest I have ever been in my entire life. And I worked, at one point in time, I worked three jobs at the same time and was doing music full time. So I know what it's like not to sleep. My The last semester of college for me when I was 29, I was in six bands. I was taking 16 hours in school. I was working 35 hours a week. God damn. And I was gone on tour for like a month and a half. There's not even that many hours in the day. No (laughs) shit. I think I averaged like three or four hours a night. Jeez. For an entire semester. I mean, so I'd hear these other kids like, man, you know, I'm just busy. I'll go band practice. I'm like, motherfucker, (laughs) you don't know what busy is. But right now, I'm even busier than that. Shit. With work, uh, things outside, these concert series I'm working on outside of work. Um Working on a song for Planned Parenthood to benefit them. Uh, working on my own music. Uh, we're working on a new Tigers record. You know, like, I am swamped. I don't sleep, you know. 
And so I, I, I get this kind of struggle and, and lyrics like what you just said, where it's like, man, I just need some sleep. It rings different now. I just need someone <laughs> that can help. Uh, something that can help ease my mind. Yeah. It's always going. Yeah. It's, it's just the brain. My brain never stops. And as I get older, you know, every day that passes, my thought process gets more complicated because I'm trying to pay attention to all of it. And it, which is an impossibility. But shit, at least I can try. At least, that's the least I could do, is at least keep trying to pay attention and to to not lose myself to cynicism, you know? Because cynicism doesn't get you shit in life. Giving a shit is it's underrated. Good. Dude, the first song I wrote in 2019, the title of it was, It's Good to Give a Shit. It is. It's good, like, caring is cool. Giving a shit is awesome. Please try to be awesome. <laughs> <laughs> We've kind of like, I don't know, we've kind of gotten to this point where we reward or, I don't know if reward's the best word for it, but like cynicism is so like the norm that we're so accustomed to it, you we know? We champion it. Yeah. We champion cynicism because cynicism parallels with apathy and, and, and both seem to think like, oh, I'm too cool to care. It's like, man, get out of here with that bullshit. <laughs> like, care, care. Because giving, if you have the time, the wherewithal, the ability to give part of yourself, and you're not, it's not like you're never going to get it back. You know what I mean? It's, I, I always hated the whole bank deposit metaphor about love and because that, it implies that once you run out of love, that's it. And that's bullshit. That's bullshit. Or that Any, it's transactional even. Oh my God, that's such a crock. That's yeah. such a crock. Because the thing is, if you give, if you're giving love to people and you expect something back, then what you're giving is not love; it is expectation. That's a new radical, man. Right? <laughs> you gotta give what you give. And so, uh, yeah, I don't know. I mean, <laughs> we gotta, we gotta learn to, we just gotta learn to love a little more. I know that sounds real hippie, and it's always easier <laughs> said than done. You but just gotta love, man. I mean, listen, if I. <laughs> If if I can, and, and I have done this over and over again, you know, if I can look at people who have mistreated me and forgive them and just move on with it, anybody can do it. Because I'm stubborn as shit. <laughs> so if I can do it, You're I like, know and I know, can do I know it. me, so. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> okay, this one may be a little, like, uh, interview, like, magazine interview-ish. But I do love hearing this. I've talked to people about this all the time. All right, let's do it. What musician, living or dead, would you want to have a conversation just about anything with for any amount of time? And what would you talk about? You could pick more than one if you want. What musician, living or dead? Um, definitely Jeff Buckley is up there um, watching his video interviews and stuff. I mean, you can just tell that he kind of lived in this realm of of in his head. And I want to know what that's like. Um so Buckley is one. Um, you know, it's funny. I'm not. A, I'm not the biggest. I can't call myself a David Bowie fan. I love David Bowie, but I. I but I'm not familiar enough to call myself a David Bowie fan. But what he did for music, um, what he did with the use of androgyny and and really, in a way, kind of taking the piss out of certain things. I would love to have a conversation with him. And he kind of had the reputation of kind of being notoriously nice. Um, Springsteen, 
for sure. Just because I feel like a conversation with him is like a book is just being written. You know what I mean? Like, well, you're just talking to the most everyman guy yeah. that I think there's ever been. Um, I'm a huge Tom Petty fan, and I've watched that documentary, Running Down a Dream, at least five times. And it's four hours long, so that says something. Jeez. You know? Yeah. Um, but he always, Petty always stuck to his guns. He was the, always the kind of just the coolest dude in the room. But it was because he just, he did not let stuff get to him. And he was extremely confident. So somebody like that, I feel like that inspires you, you know. I get vibes like the Springsteen and and the Petty stuff. Like, I get, that's what I love about being in Bo Jennings and the Tigers, you know. I, I get Bo and, and Michael Trepanier and Dustin Raglan are, like, the three older brothers I wish I had had, you know, Um and I don't really have a relationship with my older brother. And and it was tumultuous in the past. Um, and so it's like, I know that those guys, when they talk to me, it's it's never bullshit. And it's always kind and caring. But it's always still from this, hey, I'm a few years older. And so I really admire, it's well thought out. And I always admire the conversations that, that I have with them. It's one of the reasons I love being in that band so much. Um so I feel like in a weird way, like I have these kind of conversations with, you know, Springsteen or Pet. I have those by talking to Michael and Bo and Dustin and, and those guys kind of being these surrogate older brothers to me. Um, God, who else? Who else? Living or dead? Would I want to just have a conversation with? Hmm. Bach. No, I'm just kidding. Uh, <laughs> I wouldn't understand a word the man said. I was going to say, was he German? Yeah. (laughs) Uh, You know, honestly, um, you know, I'd say Nick Drake because he was a huge influence, but also at the same time, Nick Drake was just completely in his head and and battled such depression that I don't necessarily think that would be a conversation um, that I would understand or that he would um, let me attach to. So... I'd love to pick Tom York's brain. I thought I was wondering if you're going to throw Radiohead in. I would love to pick Tom's <laughs> brain. Um, the freaking uh, labyrinth is just, mine must be. Well, or maybe it's just ultra clear to him. You know, I've always wondered that. Maybe. Like, is, is his brain like the maze that goes upside down and inside out and all that stuff? Or is, is he just like, is it clear to him? Yeah, that That is an interesting thing. You know, outside looking in, we kind of have this perception. But mm-hmm. to him, he's probably like... Oh, we're just trying to I've only lived and thought making and a process like this. I heard an interview with him once uh, on like a satellite radio show when I was working at a vintage clothing store here in OKC. I was like 21. And he had just launched, uh, he had just released uh, his solo record, his first one, uh, Eraser. Wasn't that the name? I think that was the name. Anyways, it was his first solo record. Um, and... You know, the interviewer asks about his, like, lazy eye, which I just thought was like, what the fuck? <laughs> like, what the, what the hell? <laughs> what, who asked that shit? Um, they ask about his eye, and he he was like, oh, this has been shot since I was born. I mean, he was so casual about wow. it. Wow. And I was like, man, he seems so oddly down to earth for being Tom York. He's comfortable know? in the skin. Yeah, man, and that's cool. Um, 
you know, I would, I'd hang out with guys like Isbel, you know, I think that he and I would get along in, in a lot of ways. Um, I'm kind of trying to think, you know, it's, it's, there's just so many. But those names, that for one sure. is, yeah, I was gonna say that one is tough because you're like, damn. Yeah, those names for sure. Though I thought about sending you that one ahead of time because I'd be like, man, let me, <laughs> let me give him some time to think Dude, about I it. I love, I love being on the spot though, but, and yeah. that's that's the point. It's got to be, we gotta. <laughs> that is true. We are, we are. Uh, there, there are no secrets. Right, right. Here. <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah, it was the Eraser 2006. Mm-hmm. A little uh, on the fly, uh, googling right here. Yep. So I was 21. Man, um, you know, talking about earlier, we mentioned not necessarily talking about the pandemic or anything. Like, I don't like bringing that up too much. But one thing it has helped me with is um, gratefulness. Yeah. Um, is there something that maybe you've realized now that you might have taken for granted that you're like, man, like, when we get back in quotes to normal, like I will never hmm. take that for granted. You know, for me, I'm I'm definitely I'd I'd say I'm eighty percent extrovert. Um I still have a lot of like inner thoughts and you know I mean maybe I'm a hundred percent extrovert, but I'm a two hundred percent person and the other hundred percent introvert. I don't know. I don't <laughs> suck at math. Um no, I'd say I'm 80% extrovert, and so I I I missed people and, and the energy that I could give to them and the energy that they could kind of give to me in, in our interactions. Because um, oftentimes, like, I'll go, I'll go to a bar and just hang out and have drinks by myself and, and work on stuff, you know. And I'll talk to anybody. I don't care what you look like. Uh, I don't. I don't care who you think you are. I don't care who you think others think you are. I. I don't give a shit. I'll talk to anybody because I feel like everybody's worth talking to. And so, I missed that. I. I. I, I guess maybe in some strange way, like I know I don't think I ever took human interaction for granted. Um, but as an extrovert, I didn't ever realize that that was such a staple of how my, big it was. Yeah. Personal energy, I guess, yeah. you know. Um, I mean, I, I had some really, really, really confusing low points during the pandemic because I couldn't I couldn't get out. I couldn't, you know, I, I'm stuck. I am not the kind of person that needs to be stuck at home with their own thoughts. Right. I, I am not that. I you That makes you my... You didn't have that outlet anymore. Yeah, and I could write songs, and, and it's like, okay, cool, that's great, but I can't share moments with and and those moments are what mattered to me and still and continue to matter um but it was one of those things where just fuck i miss people i just i just missed people i i missed their conflict and and their differences and you know how we all have that one friend that smells and you're just like <laughs> who gives a shit i would i'd put up with the stink cuz i just miss that just son of to a bitch. see him yeah, and and I j- I just miss people. I missed hearing their voices. Um, I missed watching their demeanor. Um, I missed being able to be there for them. I think maybe most of all, um, 
because I think my my close friends who have stuck with me as much as I've stuck with them know that loyalty is is just the biggest thing for me. And um, you know, if you need if you need someone to just listen to you for an hour while you while you're venting about whatever, then they knew they can call me. And then the pandemic just puts a stranglehold on that. And I think part of it that really hurt me and broke my heart was that I couldn't do, I couldn't be there for a lot of people, you know, and, and that sucks. You know, you want to be there for people. You, you, you want to be able to care for them and zoom meetings and zoom chat, FaceTime chats and all this other shit. Like it doesn't do it. It's just not the same. Doesn't do it, man. You know, like we're sitting here, we're on this couch and if this was over Zoom, it would be totally different. That's true. You know, like, you got to pick up off of each other. I mean, we're talking body language and all of these things. I mean, that your brain's picking it up whether you know it or not, you know. Um, well, actually, I would say a lot of men don't understand body language, so go get a <laughs> fucking clue. Stop being an asshole. <laughs> but but I miss people. And, 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 man, the pandemic taught me, like, when I'm when I'm with folks, be present, be there. If my mind is distracted with something else, remember and realize that that thing, whatever your brain is distracted by, can wait until you are not with others. You know, so the idea is just be present, because if your brain is so distracted by something so heavy, you wouldn't be hanging out. You'd say, "Well, I can't make it." It is tough. It takes some self-policing, too, because, like, sometimes we do without even noticing, and you're like, damn, I didn't mean to, like, check my phone while they were talking, like. Yeah, that's the thing, too, is, is, is you know, we became addicted to our phones even more over the oh pandemic. Oh, my God, I know. You know, and I've I've gotten to this point that it's like, okay, you know, um, I'm, I'm putting it down. You know, every, every once in a while, I'll just put my phone on Do Not Disturb, to where, like, shit's still coming in. But I'm just ignoring it. <laughs> yeah, and it's, it's a problem for future Chase. You know, yeah, that's exactly right. You know, it's like I can deal with that later, you yeah. know, or whatever it is. You know, there's – it's been nice to, to just try to start learning how to say, you know what, I'm cool for – you know, I can be without my stupid appendage of a cell phone for an hour, you know. And we need to get better at that anyways. We, none of us ever used it. I didn't have a cell phone until I was 18, and the first cell phone I had was, like, just, it had, a, you know, a punch pad on the it. A Nokia you know. brick phone or Dude, something. yeah. <laughs> we all had that one. You know. A little bowling game on it. Yeah, trying to play Snake. 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 That's that, the move right there. That was, uh. <laughs> and now, I mean, I love how that was, like, you know, not even 8-bit graphics. I know. <laughs> It's just like the shit. He's black like, and white, like four bit. But you're still like this. The shit. And you're like, I'm gonna beat this level. <laughs> Getting in my high school. And now, here. and now you can have like VR video games on that, your cell phone. I know it's crazy. The amount of change we've seen just in our lifetimes. That's in 18 an years. Amazing. That's 18 years. I got my first cell phone when I was 18 years old. It was a graduation gift. It was 18th birthday gift wow. slash graduation gift. So I got a cell phone and a year paid for it. And that was the gift. Um and now it's like you have a computer in your pocket. Dude, we have more technology. We walk around with more technology in our pocket than they had to land on the fucking moon in the entire thing. 
That's crazy. I never thought about that. Yeah. We have more, we carry more technology, better technology in our pocket than they had. And they put men on the moon with that shit. That's crazy to me. That's crazy. You know? Man, I never thought about that. And people, and people still take it for granted. Well, and yeah, I mean, it's true. And, but it's just funny. A lot of ways, I mean, your perceptions, your reality, you know? So like if you grow up and that's all you know, then that becomes something you're so dependent on. And you yeah. may not even realize it. You don't look at it from yeah. bird's eye view of like, man, I should kick my own ass for like how I'm like reacting right now or like how dependent I am on this thing. Yeah, the phone the phone thing, because the other thing too is like we, the you know, the iPhone has become so integral to also running business and keeping up with people and all these other things. So we, it has its pros and cons. And so that's a thing, you know, it, it, it's a blessing and a curse, but if you're just doom scrolling on Twitter, oh, hoping man. to see something new, just you got to tell yourself, nothing I see on the stupid social media website matters, and I can go to sleep. You know, mm-hmm. <laughs> like it's okay. <laughs> Let your brain chill out. You're fine. So you're gonna be all right. Yeah, that's exactly right. <laughs> you know, <laughs> just like with anything, man. We've been talking about it a little bit. Like it's just balance. Mm-hmm. Just like with anything, it's balance. Um, man, to wrap up, I think this question puts a nice bow on it. All right, let's do it. In 2021 right now, Chase Kirby, what is something that you're thankful for? Man, a lot. Um, I'm thankful I'm still here. Uh, I'm thankful for my girlfriend, Zane, uh, who's just a tremendous woman, um, just inside and out. Just, you know, she's one of those people that when you, when you meet her, you understand why, like, everybody loves her. I mean, she's just one of those people that makes the world brighter. Um, thankful for my mom as well. I mean, she's just a, a warrior. Um, I'm thankful for good people. Just good people. They don't have to be showy. They don't have to be some name you drop, you know. Just good people. Good folks. Um, I am thankful for the opportunity to to stand up for what I believe in. Um, I'm thankful that others have that opportunity as well. Um, I mean, honestly, I like. I'm just. I'm thankful to be alive. I really am. Uh, with somebody who's had depression and anxiety for for years and years and years. You know, I I sat at the end of my bed once when I the apartment that I live in now. I remember when I first moved in there, and all I had were two lawn chairs and a coffee table in my living room. And a mattress on my bedroom floor. And that was that was it. That was all I had. And my depression had just got so bad, you know. And I I'd gone to my dad's funeral, I'm going to all these other funerals, I'm just I'm losing people left and right. And there was a moment that I sat on the end of my bed and at the time I was prescribed this kind of anti nerve drug. 
um, cause I wasn't sleeping at all. And I had lost like all this weight because of anxiety and stuff. Um, and I sat at the end of my bed and I had a handful of pills. I didn't, I had a 90 day supply of these pills and I had poured them out in my hand and I was like, I can, I can take these and just go to sleep and never come back. It wouldn't be painful. It, nothing. Right. And I, I sat there for about half an hour. I mean, I was like really like weighing, <laughs> weighing it, you know, it was, it was, that, that's the low, low. That's, that's the lowest point. That's the, that's the dark point. You know? Um, and I thought about my dad, I thought about my grandpa, you know, and both of them have passed and, And I just thought, like, there's no fucking way that they would ever be proud if I did that. And I always wanted to make them proud, you know. And I uh, I put the pills back in the bottle, and I, I put it back in, in my, you know, the medicine cabinet in the, in the bathroom. And uh, I went to sleep, and I was like, I'm never going to look at life like that ever again and so after the pandemic you get you know all of us have just been have have gone through a ringer now and I think what people need to realize is the ringer that we just went through is ourselves we had to look at ourselves we got to face ourselves and that that's fucking hard for people you know because we don't want to face ourselves it's like we are our own worst enemy but we had to find truth in ourself and um the pandemic forced us to do that and so when i I, th- I think back on the darkest part of my life and i think about the pandemic and how it affected so many people you know myself included and what i am thankful for is those those of us that are still here are still here and 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 there's a light at the end of this tunnel and we get to see it now um, the world is a complicated place. We don't, we don't fix those issues by making it more complicated. You know, uh, we just got to take, got to take stock of what we love. Um, and we, we got to learn to love ourselves too. That's another thing, you know, like we're not, <laughs> you know, we're sitting here. We want to have opinions on everything constantly like I can be like oh that movie sucks or oh this song is terrible or oh this or that and I you know we all talk shit but I wonder what would happen if for one day all of humanity collectively didn't talk shit you know what I mean what would happen and do we have to talk shit no we don't we don't necessarily have to give our opinion on something so I'm also thankful coming out of this thing with a little bit more mindfulness of of what I'm saying and what my actions are doing. You know, I think that it's important that, like, we, you don't have to be an asshole. People just got to remember that. You know, we don't have to be assholes. <laughs> like, just, just, when someone's a jerk on social media, I would just respond with, you do realize that you don't actually have to be that person, right? I'm sorry you're unhappy. 
yeah, I'm I'm thankful I'm here. I'm thankful to be here with you and whoever's bottle of whiskey this is. <laughs> <laughs> um I don't I don't lead my life with any expectations uh or entitlement. I you know, I've 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 been fortunate enough and I've worked my ass off more than most at music. But I never walked into a situation saying like, well, I deserve that because I worked for it. Because that's just not how life works, you know. So I'm just happy that, one, I even still like making music. I'm happy that I get to do that. I'm happy I get to, to do interviews like this with friends, you know, and we can be real. And I'm, I'm happy that that I have people in my life that, that are good folks. I mean, it's, I don't know. Shit is fleeting, and and we worry so much about that fifteen minutes of fame, and what people got to realize is fame is some bullshit. You know what I mean? You don't want fame. You want reputation. You want. You want what? What is what is it going to be when you die? You know what I mean? Like what is that? What is that notoriety going to be? What is, what is your legend, if you will? And. The number one legend would always be just be kind, you know, because shit sucks. <laughs> it sucks. That, I mean, that's the thing you know? that stays with people. Like, people remember the impact you had on them. If you were nice to them, they remember that. That's exactly right. And the thing that's heartbreaking, and, and I think about this all the time, is any person I ever mistreated, you know, girlfriends, friends, strangers. I remember I, I dated this girl once who just was kind of, um, she was kind of a jerk actually, but we were driving past a, a homeless person who was, who was just asking for cash on the street. And we drove past him, um, and she looked at me and she goes, are you going to cry? And I looked at her and I was like, what is wrong with you? What is wrong with you? You know what? What if I did? What if I did cry? What's wrong with you? You know? It was the weirdest thing. And I was like, my God. Like, I'd say find Jesus, but that ain't going to fix shit for you, girl. <laughs> <laughs> you need that step above whatever yeah, Jesus yeah, is. You better, find, you better find the Holy Father or something. <laughs> I don't know. You can go take a... A big dive into a pool of holy water or some <laughs> shit. I don't know. You know, it, it is one of those things where it, you just. That's tough, man. We got to be kind to each other. Yeah. We got to, we got to realize that time, um, it waits for no one and we're not getting more of it. You know what I mean? That's the one currency that Jeff Bezos himself cannot afford. It's true. You know, He's got everything in the world, but still going to take that ultimate L one day. He's got a real shiny head, too. <laughs> I feel like he has a personal buffer. He's got the money for it, my guy. I bet, dude, I bet. I bet he's got a guy that just... I would. Just towels his head before <laughs> interviews. Let me touch you up real quick. Oh, Jeff, come here, come here. Um, sorry. <laughs> There's not enough gleam on it. <laughs> his head squeaks. <laughs> oh, man. Uh, um... Man, you know, I usually end it, you've been on the show before, I usually end it in the, the old plugs, but I just can't 
that's just not that doesn't go along with how we talk today. So Oh man. I just appreciate you coming on, man. Um, Dude, I appreciate you taking the time to come chat with me. Brother, I appreciate you having me. I really do. But it is funny, like we get through this whole conversation and it's like, but check out my new music. <laughs> well, you know, okay, so the new song, Perfume. Yeah. So I started writing this song like eight years ago. And the I dated this girl on and off um, in my early 20s for about four years. And, uh, and, and we're cool and, you know, she's married with kids and, you know, lives in like Texas or something. Um, but she used to wear, uh, Chanel number five and I am real allergic to that perfume. And at the time I drove a mini Cooper, so a very small car. Right. And, uh, when she was mad at me. She would wear that perfume. Jeez, I was kind of vindictive. They like and make you sick. Yeah, like eyes bloodshot. My nose couldn't breathe out of my nose. My felt like my throat was on fire. Like I was just, I'm allergic to that perfume. Jesus. But having a small car like a Mini Cooper, you know. So I remember we were we were driving to like a a, a friend was having a house party or something because you know that's just all you go to in your early twenties is house parties. If you're doing it right, so um, we're on our way. And I'm sitting there, and I notice, like, my right nostril closes up, and my eyes are just burning. And I was like, are you wearing a... I'd, like, pissed her off. for some, You know, probably rightfully so, too. <laughs> like, I was an arrogant little shit in my early 20s, you know. And I was like, are you wearing Chanel? And she just looks at me and goes, mm-hmm. She, and she full well knew that I was allergic to it. She knew that I was allergic to it. And, we like, we had established that months before that. She goes, mm-hmm. And I'm in this tiny car. So <laughs> she's like six inches away from my ass. So I roll my window down just so my eyes can start getting some some fresh air. <laughs> You're like the Joker in the Dark Knight. Oh my god, it was hanging so out the bad. window. Just, uh, I mean, that was that was me. And so that I started writing this song, and you know, and she she wanted more the traditional family, and I I I didn't want that. I didn't, you know, so I, the lyrics and the chorus were it's like you know it's on to me. Don't break my heart and insult me with injury. The perfume burns my eyes, but it lets me really see that the pain and self-abuse aren't what they used to be. And then the second stanza of the chorus says, uh, You wanted everything while the shadow of your past was hanging over me. I couldn't make it last with what a fool believes because the picket fence uh, you wanted was a cage to me. Damn, and she wanted that picket fence kind of life. She wanted the husband, and the multiple right. kids, and the dogs, and that, and that, and and I'm happy for. Her. That just wasn't the life that you're I just wanted. on two different pages. At and that that's time. okay. Yeah, you know, I wanted one life. She wanted another, and that's great. But in hindsight, I'm like, damn, she wore this perfume, knowing that my ass was allergic <laughs> to me. it. And at the end of the night, would be like, I love you. It's like, are you gonna murder me do in my though? sleep? Like, that's vindictive. The, you know? Do you though? So the whole the whole idea. So I started <laughs> writing the song like eight years ago. You know, and it was the chorus came to mind, and then the rest of the song was just kind of came uh, came slowly but surely. But yeah, it was because uh, I had an ex girlfriend that would wear perfume That's that amazing. I was allergic to <laughs> when she was mad at me. The f- the small things that you know that <laughs> re- resonate with you, and then you build this whole thing out of it, like dude, yeah, and and honestly, this whole I, picture. I've had I've had a couple of really close friends uh, that are like, oh, this. You know, in their opinion, they think it's one of the best songs I've ever done. Nice. And I'm like, well, 
I appreciate that. That means a lot. I don't know if that's true or not. <laughs> I don't ever think of like a one song being better than another. But uh, you know, it's it's like yeah, all I had, all I all I needed was an ex girlfriend <laughs> to wear a perfume that I was allergic to <laughs> and do it on purpose, and that just opened this whole existential <laughs> world up for me. <laughs> oh man, uh, you know what I always. And one thing that always annoys me when people have musicians on, they're like, where can they find your new song? And I'm like, you literally know, like, if you've lived in the world, you know where you can find his song. Oh, yeah. It, so your preferred streaming platform. It'll be on. Go check it out. It'll be on Bandcamp, and it'll be on all the platforms on Friday. Um, I don't have a music video for it. Uh who cares? Right. <laughs> go listen to the damn song. Like it's for the ears, not for the eyes. Uh, that's exactly right. Um and then uh Yeah, I'll have the website updated one of these days. I'm just I'm so busy with, with uh working on Festival of the Arts and, and you know the hundred something bands that we have to confirm for that. Uh and then I'm I'm also working with uh, a friend on the Wheeler District concert series, and then uh, we're about to announce a brand new concert series in Bricktown, and I'm really, really, really excited about oh, that. Oh, cool, one. man! So it's going to be a cool thing, that. man. Yeah, it, we're. I'm. I am trying my best to call my musical friends and say I've got a job for you. <laughs> you know, bring it in. Well, they all felt they all felt the hit, and by God. Get out there and support the music. That's right. You know, so. Well, like I said, man, it felt uh, felt disingenuous to end it with like the the plug. So I'll just end it saying, uh, check that song out, Perfume. It's out April sixteenth. You're probably listening to this on the nineteenth. Uh, so thanks for tuning in. We'll catch you guys next time. Thanks, Chase. Cheers, brother.